Good morning. We are continuing our series in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning, and it is Hope in Jesus, a future that gives direction to our lives. And this morning, we will be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. If you want to use your pew Bible and follow along, it's on page 956. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, way in the back of the Bible, beginning at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from this coming wrath. Let's pray. Father God, it's amazing what you did way back in a small little community in Thessalonica, how you took people and brought them to yourself. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would teach us from this passage, that you would encourage us, and that your spirit would be felt here in our hearts, in our minds, as we study your scripture together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was reading an article recently that talked about the fact that millions of Christians are at risk for persecution across the world. And they gave us an illustration, a lot of different countries, but one of the countries that they illustrated was the country of North Korea. Believe it or not, there are some 300, 400,000 Christians who live in North Korea. But if there's a religion to North Korea, the religion is not Christianity. The religion is the worship of the dictator of the country. And any other religion in North Korea is considered to be an enemy of the state. And so Christians are regularly persecuted, they're arrested, they're put into prison, they're tortured, sometimes killed, and they are in trouble. And if you are a Christian in North Korea, you worship in secret and you don't let your presence be known to anyone. You're being persecuted. So why in the world do countries persecute believers? Why do they persecute Christians? Why do they persecute anyone? The purpose is to keep people from either becoming Christians or if you already are a Christian, to make you renounce your faith. That is the purpose to persecution. 
And persecution is the context for this passage in 1 Thessalonica. Paul is relating back to them what it was like for them when he arrived and what actually happened. So Paul says, or actually Luke says in the book of Acts, chapter 17, this is what happened in Thessalonica. This is the context. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason, a new believer, and some of the other new believers before the city officials. Why'd they do this? There's only one reason why they did this. It's because Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrived They went to the synagogue, they started talking about this person, Jesus, and we don't want Jesus in our community. We don't want Christians in our community. So what do we do? We get together a mob, and we incite a riot, and we bring all the Christians, and we bring them before the officials because we want to get these people out. And if you continue reading in the passage, they snuck Paul out of the city, Paul and Silas out of the city, and they had to go elsewhere. And as far as the leaders of the city were concerned, the persecution worked, didn't it? We got rid of the infestation. We got rid of Paul. We got rid of Silas. So how did it actually turn out? It actually turned out that this is what Paul's writing about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. For you, Thessalonians, welcome welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering. Suffering was meant to make them run away from it. Suffering was meant to get them as far away from Christianity as they could possibly get. That was the whole reason for doing it. How is it that in this particular situation, Paul and Silas come, they give the message of the gospel to the people, the people welcomed it, and they kept it, even in the midst of suffering. So why is it? Why did they welcome the gospel, even in the midst of the suffering? I want to look at three different things in this passage. It has to do with the gospel. They were willing to welcome the faith because the gospel is more than just words. Paul says, when he's talking about the gospel, because our gospel came to you not simply with words. It wasn't just words that we gave to you. It came with other stuff. And so we live in a society where words are important. But you know, words aren't really enough. Do we really believe that? We're a society that loves words. I I am preaching to you. It's all words. For a half hour, you're going to hear my words. You don't get to say anything, although you can if you want. 
but it's words. And we love podcasts of sermons. We love video series. We love books. They're all words. And they're good words. And they're true words. But they are just words. But you know what? Words are not enough. But yet we believe that they are. We'll oftentimes say when we're talking about the gospel to people who don't believe, we look at it as an argument of words. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and I'm going to tell it to you until I convince you to actually believe like I do. We're going to use our words to somehow convince you that the gospel is true. And sometimes we hesitate about doing that. And why do we hesitate? Because we say, oh, you know, I really don't have the words. I just don't really know what, to, I just don't know what to say. I'm going to bring my pastor, Tim Bushfield, because he's been to seminary and he, he has more words than I do. And he'll give you the right words and he'll say it the right way and you'll become a Christian because he says the right words. And that's not true. Because the gospel is not just words. Yes, it is words. And it is true. And the Bible is something that we should read. But Paul says that the gospel impacted your life because it was more than just words. There's something else that's necessary. And since it's President's Day, I thought we'd talk about the last five presidents. The last 30 years. Because if there's anyone in our society who loves words, it's presidents. They want to be on national TV. They want to take away your favorite programs in order to hear what they have to say. Because they believe that words are really important. And the words make a difference. So here are the words that the last five presidents have, give, have given us. Change. We can believe in. Good word. Leave no child behind. Make America great again. Putting people first. Kinder, gentler nation. Now, I am not criticizing these words. I wish the words were true. These are great. I wish that our nation actually did put people first. And I wish that that president actually changed our nation, but he didn't. I wish that our nation would leave no child behind. And I wish that that president had eradicated children who are left behind, but he didn't. I wish there was change that we could believe in. I have no idea what that actually means. But I wish we had change that we could believe in. I wish that America was great. And it was great again, if it ever was great in the past. I wish that. And I wish that America was a kinder, gentler nation. I wish all of these things were true. But here's the thing. They said it. They said this is what they were going to do. But America didn't change. We haven't changed as a country. They're great words. I wish they would all come true. But these words themselves are not enough to change a nation. 
and neither are the true words of the gospel enough to change a person. You need something else. The people of Thessalonica welcomed the gospel, yes, because it was true. Yes, because it was words. But they welcomed the gospel because it, was, it came with other things. And I want to look at that. Welcome the gospel because it's more than just words. It involves words that are lived out. Paul says, You know how we, we being Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who are the ones who came there, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. The gospel comes with words, but it also comes with people. You know, we as parents, we like to say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Follow my words, don't follow me. That's not what Paul did here. Paul said, I'm bringing you the words of truth. They are the gospel. And you can watch us. And as he says, he lived amongst them. He got The gospel was lived out right in front of them. They were there. They saw Paul in the morning when he brushed his teeth, if they did such a thing back then. They saw Paul and Silas and Timothy grouchy before they had their morning coffee, if they had such a thing back then. They saw Paul at noontime. They saw him when he was hungry. They saw him when he went through persecution. They saw him in all of those things. He was speaking the words of truth, but they were also watching whether those words actually made a difference in Paul's own life and in Silas's life and in Timothy's life. They looked to see if the gospel was actually being lived out among them. They wanted to know if the gospel was true, and if the gospel is true, it should be rooted in changed lives. So the gospel involves words that are lived, lived out amongst us, and it causes change. But how does that change happen? I think of an illustration. My wife Susie and I, we were out in California a number of years ago. And we know that you can train dogs. Because some people out there actually do train dogs. And we actually went to a person who trains field dogs, does field training with black labs. And so he brought out three of his black labs. And he put them right there in a row. And this was just part of the part of the illustration or part of what he was trying to show us. And so he took a ball, he made them all sit, and then he threw that ball. And they all stayed sat because they hadn't been told to go. And he had a whistle, but he said to one person, he, he said to one dog their name and said, go. And that dog went and the other two didn't go because their name wasn't called. And then the dog is tearing down the field to go get the ball and he blows his whistle. And that dog stops immediately and sits in the middle of the field, even though the ball's still out there. And then he calls the name of another dog and says to that dog, you go. And that dog goes tearing, and that dog tears right by the dog that's sitting that was going after the ball and actually gets the ball 
and brings the ball back to him. And you look at that and you go, that's amazing. But you also look at that and say, I have a dog. What are the chances that my dog will ever be that well-trained? Not very high. So there's something here. In that illustration, you have the knowledge that dogs can be trained. And you've actually seen that dogs actually can be trained like that. And you're amazed. But there's a disconnect here. There's something wrong here. My dog doesn't act like that. And my dog probably never will act like that. So how is it that you get from the idea to the change to actually the change in my life? How does that actually work? What makes that difference? In the Thessalonians' lives, as they looked at it, they heard the words that Paul said. They saw what Paul and Silas and Timothy did. They saw that there was truth in those words, and they saw that there was actually integrity in the lives of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But now we get to the hard part. If I go and do this, will I be able to change? How do I do that? How do I, how do, I do that? It's hard enough to live life. How do I live life the way that they did it? And that's the third part of this passage. And that is, first there's the words, then the words involved living it out, but finally the words come with power. They come with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is because the Holy Spirit is in people's lives that we have the power to be able to change. I wish the Holy Spirit would get in the life of my dog so I have the power to actually train him, but that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit comes inside of our lives and the Holy Spirit gives us the strength that we need and the power that we need. Now, it would take a lot longer than the 30 minutes that I have to give you the words of this sermon to talk about all the things that the Holy Spirit does, So we'll only talk about the things that the Holy Spirit does in this particular passage. And I want us to look at three different things to us. But here's what Paul says. Because our God, our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So the Holy Spirit comes with power. And power changes our hearts. It makes us different people. And this is what Paul says. You welcomed the message of the gospel even though you were in the midst of severe suffering. The Holy Spirit changed their lives. Now, I want to uses an example, a passage from Acts 2, or actually it's from Luke. It's Luke chapter uh, 34, verse 32. It's after Jesus was crucified and he rose again from the grave. And two of his disciples were walking to a town called Emmaus. And Jesus came and walked with them. But they didn't recognize him as Jesus. And they talked to him about what had just gone on in Jerusalem 
And this person that they were walking with, who happened to be Jesus, explained to them how and why Jesus needed to die on the cross. And he needed to rise again. And he explained to them all from the Old Testament. And they had this conversation back and forth, back and forth. And as the story goes, at the very end, Jesus disappears. Um, And they look at each other and they suddenly realize that who they'd been walking with was Jesus. And this is what they said to each other. They asked each other, were, our not, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Think about this. Jesus was walking with them. They were walking along to a town. Jesus was communicating just words. That's all it was. This is what the Old Testament says. This is, why Jesus, this is why Jesus needed to die on the cross, went through all of those things. They were all just words. But there was more than just words. It burned in their hearts. Everything that Jesus said to them actually was just words that went through their ears and went into their minds, but there was something about them. Their hearts were burning within us. That is the power of the Holy Spirit working in someone's lives. So when we talk about the fact that "Ah, I can't share the gospel with someone, I just don't have the words. I just don't know what to say. I haven't been to seminary. I don't know everything about the scripture. I can't do that. Well, the key is, is that when you talk about the gospel with someone, you are talking about it, but the Holy Spirit is also working in power in that person's heart. And you may be using words that you don't think are very good, but it doesn't really matter that much because if the Spirit is talking to that person in power, their hearts will burn just like this. The Spirit will work inside them. And that Spirit that goes in there, those words and that burned heart, it actually gives people the desire to change, to become a Christian, even though it might mean suffering, even though it might mean hardships, even though it definitely means that we are going to change. The power of God is inside people because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives us power to change our hearts, and change our behavior. Holy Spirit also gives us power to experience joy. You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. It ought to be illegal to put the words severe suffering and joy in the same sentence. They don't go together. How can Paul write a sentence that says there is severe suffering in your life right now, but there's joy too? Those two don't go together unless there's another two words in that sentence. The Holy Spirit. You put the Holy Spirit between suffering and joy, it works. Because you can experience joy even in the midst of hardship and suffering. Just a couple of weeks before Paul came to Thessalonica, he was in Philippi. 
And as typical, the crowd came against him, he was thrown in prison. But before he was thrown in prison, they made sure that he definitely felt the pain because they severely beat him. And then they put him in prison. And then they put his legs and his arms in stocks so he couldn't move them. If he had any reason to be miserable, it was in that prison. If he had any reason to feel like I'm involved in severe suffering, it was in that prison. But yet at midnight, Paul and Silas, what are they doing? They're not groaning and mumbling to each other and say, why did I ever decide to become a Christian? This is just miserable. They were singing praises to God because the Holy Spirit was in them. And the Holy Spirit is a source of joy. And sometimes you get the sense from Christians, sometimes you get the sense from listening to podcasts and words from pastors that the purpose of becoming a Christian is so that life will be really good, so that you won't have any trouble, so that everything's going to be wonderful, God's going to take care of it, all you have to do is pray, you're never going to experience suffering. That's not what the New Testament says. That may be what you get from other people talking about it. That may be kind of the hint and what your hope is. But the scripture clearly says that suffering will not go away because you have become a Christian. Hardships will not go away because you, are, you have become a Christian. Life can be, will be still difficult. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can experience hardship and experience joy at the same time. That is what God gives us when he gives us the Holy Spirit. We have the power to experience joy. And then thirdly, Paul says that the Holy Spirit gives us the power for deep conviction. I think this is really something that we oftentimes overlook. It's not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. This Greek word, deep conviction, it's difficult to actually translate. It means really full assurance, certain confidence. If you were actually in here last week, you heard Jake preach about hope. It really means hope in the way that hope really is supposed to be looked at as a Christian. It means that I know what I've heard is true. I'm not just wishing that maybe it's all true or in that way hoping. It's the fact that I know for certain what was spoken about the gospel is absolutely 100% true. I know it because the Spirit of God gives me that sense inside. If you look at, um, this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance. That's the same word that's, that he uses in 1 Thessalonians, of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Look at this particular verse. There are three components. And the, the two that I didn't highlight are the ones that we usually think of, knowledge and understanding. 
Why do you go to seminary? Knowledge and understanding. Why do you go to Sunday school? Knowledge and understanding. Why do you listen to sermons and podcasts? Knowledge and understanding. Words. That's what we go for. And as I said, that's all true. But knowledge and understanding isn't complete. There's an other component there. It's the full assurance. It's the fact that I understand that the words that I'm listening to, that the ideas, the knowledge, the understanding that I'm listening to is completely true. It really is from God. And that's the hard part. Because as you try to explain to your friends about why you're a Christian, you're trying to explain to them something that they cannot see. It's not like you're saying, okay, I have a brand new car. All right, where is your brand new car? It's right out here. I will show it to you. You are explaining to someone about God. So where's God? He's, um, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He's up there, over there, around there. He's all through. He's, he's everywhere. Uh, well, where is that? How do I know that? How do I know that what you're saying is 100% true? Because you can't physically show me God. You can't take me to God and I can touch him. He doesn't actually show up and, and reveal himself in the way that he did back with Jesus. He's just not there. So how is it that someone then will actually believe in Christianity? How would they believe in the gospel if they can't actually see him? And the reason is that they would actually do that is because the Holy Spirit speaks to that person. He burns in their heart or he burns the fact that it is true. What you are hearing is the truth. What you are hearing is something that you can be fully assured of. And that is part of the component of what the Holy Spirit does for us in this passage. Knowledge and understanding is important. But unless you have full assurance through the Holy Spirit, you're always going to doubt. You're always going to wonder. You're always going to say, I hope it's true. I wish it's true. I'd like for it to be true. But is it really true? I don't know. It's the Spirit that gives us that assurance, the 100% confidence to know that the gospel is true. It's hope. It's what the true hope is all about. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and we are all going to go to heaven today and celebrate with him. We know that that is true. It is our hope. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is in a certain future. We will celebrate together with Christ forever. And our hope is certain. And we know that because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We started by talking about the fact that these people became Christians, even in the midst of terrible suffering. And why are they willing to do that? 
They're willing to do that because they heard words and they kind of sensed that they were true, but they heard more than words. They saw what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. But even more than that, they felt the Holy Spirit in their hearts burning, telling them that it is true. And because of that, they knew that the gospel is true, that the words are actually true. And they knew that the gospel is going to demand that we change, even though it's going to be hard, even though I don't know how that's going to happen. And they began to understand that we can change because the Holy Spirit gives us power to change. We are not going to be able to change ourselves. As much as we know that the Scripture tells us that we need to be changed people, we will be changed people not because we try harder. We will be changed people because the Holy Spirit is in us, giving us the strength, giving us the power to overcome the demons that are inside of us, to overcome the hardships and suffering that are around us, and to help us to change and become people that are pleasing to God. I want us to take the next couple of minutes because I have been just giving you words. And words, even though they're true and even though they're worthwhile, they are not helpful. Yeah, they are helpful. I shouldn't say that. They're only helpful if the Spirit of God is inside of our hearts. And it's the Spirit that is going to give us the power to change, the power to be different, the power to know that the gospel is true and that God is there. And so I think it's, it's only appropriate for us to take some time right now for me to stop talking and for you to bow your heads in silence and just seek God. Ask God to give you strength, to give you power, to give you forgiveness, to give you his life so that you can be changed people. Let's just bow together. Father God, without you, we are nothing. Without your love, without sending your son Jesus to come down here to die on the cross for our sins, without your Holy Spirit to show us the truth and to give us the power to change. We come before you this morning and humbly acknowledge that we woefully fall short of the glory of God. And we need you to forgive us we need you to give us the strength to change and to be more pleasing to you. We ask, Lord, this morning that your spirit would be in our lives in a powerful way this week as we experience life together here on earth. Give us strength, the strength that only you can give. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.